Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Good to be with you this week. Keith and I are going to dive in this week to some of those inside politics of Netflix. That is the culture really changing, or are they? Is the Big Brother watching over their internal people? Because there's been a little bit of shakeup there. Um, but we also make note that they hopefully are making progress and improving some of those Netflix quality movies um, by creating new leadership in the movie space. So we'll see what they're doing. We also cover our ideas of how G.I. Joe is going to take over the marketplace and be the next big franchise, possibly, and um, what this old movie is that M. Night's doing and will that revive the theaters in a way that Quiet Place did, unlike what Black Widow had um, at the later end of, the, of their release. Um, so stay tuned. Thanks for being watching, and we'll see you soon. Hey, are you looking forward to the new G.I. Joe movies coming out? Were you a G.I. Joe's <laughs> cartoon guy when you were a kid? I was. Actually, I, I was. I loved um, the movie, the cartoon movie. It was one of my favorites as a kid. I mean, it's one of those things you watch now, and you're like, wow, why did I like this? This does not really hold <laughs> up. But uh, the, the opening's cool. Uh, for those of you who are G.A. Joe fans, the uh, the opening of the cartoon movie, the it's Cobra attacking the Statue of Liberty during a celebration, and it's it's really it's got this really cool riff on uh, the G.I. Joe theme song. So I have not been a huge fan of the movies. I'll be honest. As much as I I enjoy Stephen Summers as a person because he directed Van Helsing, which is a movie I was a PA on, and he was really great to everybody. Sure. So I like him a lot, but. Um, I wasn't a big. I'm not a big fan of the movies. So, although Snake Eyes is a cool character, so if he was one I would pick, if I were sitting in um, Jim Giannopoulos's shoes, I would say yes, yeah, Snake Eyes is the one you want to do the background on because it's the most interesting character. So, although I will not be seeing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious though. Like, so I asked my kids. I just asked my kids of like, do they even know who GI Joe is? Because, you know, like, I think for us, we had the figurine first. And then, of course, right. as a good Mattel brand did, it turns those figurines into content, right? So that's yes. the experience we had. So we had almost a relationship with the characters and playing it in our imagination when we were kids. And so when, they, when it was on screen, it was a big deal for us. I think without that, are we going to know who this person is? Or are they going to give us enough background that we will, even if you're not familiar with the character where they give us that right background to it so I, it would be great for my kids to ever to know who gi joe is it'd be great for my kids to know who evil knievel is you know like that's <laughs> there's some really cool things that we had when we were kids the first movie was was a success and this is why they made a second one but i don't really know if it penetrated enough to make it worthwhile to make an origin story yeah i mean they chose snake eyes because he's the most one of the most popular characters in the franchise um, but I, I, I'm the, I'm the same with my kids. I said, GI Joe, like I was singing, I was humming a theme song this week and my kids are like, what is that? And I'm like, it's GI Joe. What's GI Joe. And I'm like, it's like soldiers. They're like boring. Okay. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's cool. I mean, listen, I don't know. I, yeah, I think their midnights were like 1.3 or something like that. Not spectacular. Um, I, I, I think right now they're calling it mid teens. I think they'll be fortunate if they get that. Obviously, a two would be a great thing for them, for Paramount, but I don't know if they're going to get there. It's tough to say. I think, I mean, it, it's a good franchise play. Why not? You have all the characters. If yeah, I, you got to keep the franchise alive. I mean, look at, look at Fast yeah. and Furious. They were, everyone said it's dead at three when they did that one in Tokyo. And all of a sudden... They brought it back, and now it's now it's. And now we just wish it was dead at three. <laughs> <laughs> now it's not going to be dead till we hit 
fast 150. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they bring back a hologram of Vin Diesel. So, you know, he can bring his family together. Which we need a much more clever name. We need like a really clever name for 50. You know, like... Uh, yes. Or just like maybe when we hit the 20 and it's double X's. Like FXX or whatever. XX. Like get something yeah, cool. like do with the Super yeah. Bowl. You could do like... It's total Super Bowl move. Fat F. F-X-I-V or something like that. So the uh, the movie that I worked on years ago, this Evil Knievel movie, um, is finally turned into a documentary and is coming out today on Disney+. Plus. I haven't, haven't seen it yet on Disney+. Plus, but I can't really? Really see it. It's called Stuntman, yeah. Nice. And I've been seeing all these promos, and the shot is Eddie Braun, who was the stuntman that um, re- reenacted Evil Knievel's Snake River jump. Oh, okay. And accomplished accomplished the jump. Um, the rocket ship that's in there was literally in the in the back of my van. I had to drive it from you know, Idaho to uh, the place <laughs> that we're going to build it in Los Angeles. And my oh, kid nice. Connor, who you know, Connor, Connor was yes. the guy, and Emmett was the guys driving it down to LA and dropping off at the at the model builder that put it up together. So to see that rocket ship is like, just brings me home. It's so cool. See, that's a great story. Those are one of those legendary Hollywood stories that everybody has. Like I remember when I was working on the Sony lot, I would always be walking sort of by where they kept all the props and there right there was Ghostbuster one. And I, every time I'd walk past it, I'd want to walk in there and just sit in it, but I didn't have the guts to do it. (laughs) Oh yeah. But I was like, Oh my God, it's Ghostbuster one. That's so cute. That's so cool. Um, so anyway, but you have to like, you have to bring your kids along. Like, so my kids yeah. met Eva Knievel through that project I was doing and I started buying them Eva Knievel t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. That's and cool. I mean, to be honest, like the Knievel family is, you know, legendarily difficult to work with. And that was some of the issues we were coming against. So I'm glad that the, what we intended to make is finally come out with something else. And Dwayne Johnson was one of the EPs on the, on the final film. So I think that probably put over the finish line, but yeah, that's probably Helped a lot. It's cool to see something come to completion, but yeah, it's to me, it's like the, the nostalgia, uh, GI Joe, evil Knievel, whatever this stuff is to get our kids to appreciate what we appreciate. It also uh, gives a sense of the, um, uh, the true reality of what they, we call development. Hell <laughs> sometimes projects can just sit in, <laughs> in morbidity for years upon years. And then all of a sudden, they find a life or they find a distributor or whoever was causing the problem, oh, yeah. you know, all of a sudden it's not as much of a problem anymore. Yeah. And then you get a, you finally get the project out there. No, in our case, we were greenlit for a Fox TV special live event where he was going to you know, like reenact the jump. Like it was greenlit 40th anniversary. Of the jump. Oh, I think I remember this. Yeah. It was totally ready to go. Yep. And then, um, then I think one of the Lindas or something like that had an issue earlier on in the same same year and that kind of frightened the network and then they canceled all the high risk stuff so there was someone going to everest and the walendas were doing a thing and we were going to do this evil Knievel jump and they canceled all high risk things so we were we were frontline developing a live event um slash is a good friend of the stuntman eddie and he was going to perform you know a concert beforehand it was like a really cool idea and then it became like (laughs) okay, maybe we can just get it off the ground and get it over the, so that whole. Yes. And then maybe we can actually make it happen. Can we even just get the thing across the river? Uh, but the backstory is really cool. Um, Cause the original engineer who was blamed for it, not getting over the river, his son mm. wanted to reenact it to prove his dad's rocket could make it. So there's a really cool backstory. I love being oh, part that's of cool. it. That's cool. 
Nice. And Hollywood has that ability to, and th- I'll say this, I, I think this is what I love about the OTT platforms is Hollywood has this ability to find stories and pull them out, right? So we can, you, you can relearn about, you know, um, I don't know, the, the beginning of hip hop. Yeah. You know, that the Straight Outta Compton movie was really insightful and things that you didn't. It took forever to get made. Nobody wanted to make it. But then, but so OTT platforms like this, because of, it's a documentary, OTT has its ability to do it. And I think that's some of the fun stuff of having, you know, this plugged in environment where Disney's picking things up, Netflix is picking things up and things are being pulled out of, pulled out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as we said, some of their original content just suffers from it, I think, too. Trying to yes. constantly produce original content and the quality that's missing in making original content, especially Netflix, my favorite thing to pick on. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it hurts. Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know that um, this has been kind of a, a bumper week, bumpy week for Netflix. Um, they've been in the news quite a bit. Um, first off, the, uh, there was the, there's sort of been a fallout because Robin and I talked about this last week while you were sunning yourself in whatever tropical location you were at, Tim. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, we talked a little bit about this. And I did miss you guys, just in case you want to know. I did miss you. Likewise, likewise. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said with true sincerity. So, I, you know, we talked a little bit about this, that, you know, three senior marketing execs in the film marketing department were fired because they were caught talking smack on Slack about... Jonathan Helfgott, who's a former Fox colleague of mine, um, and the CMO um, at Netflix. And it got to the point that Hollywood Reporter released the article, which is why we talked about it on Friday. Uh, And then Ted Sarandos um, comes out on Monday, I think, on LinkedIn and tries to give more context to it um, because I think they felt like they were getting a lot of back backslash against or uh, pushback i should say backlash yeah um against this idea of you know like they were watching their slack channels which when you buy an enterprise account on slack as i explained last week you have the right to get records of the conversations he claimed that was not the case and it was a lot more pervasive than just one or two you know comments it was an ongoing there were several instances where they were talking smack and you know, Rob and I talked a little bit about this in terms of the context of, you know, her, the, the red couch that she had in her office, which everyone kind of used as a, a couch to come in, a safe space to complain because you got, you have to release it. Um, and there were a lot of comments on LinkedIn, some of them which I thought were really smart. One person said, well, yeah, I'm sure if uh, somebody walked up to the CMO and said, you're doing a crap job, they would have kept their job. Because it's all about honesty at Netflix, open and honest conversations. Sure. And uh, some the the bigger thing is somebody there saw it and turned them in. So it's it's very sort of like you're being watched. It's very Orwellian. Um, for those fans of George Orwell who have watched 1984 or read 1984, and I'm sure that's been referenced to death. Yeah, the Big Brother, especially in the last 15 months. Uh, there's there's a very disturbing sequence where. Uh, the main character, Regale, is describing how his next-door neighbors in the apartment have two young kids, and they're petrified of their kids because the party encourages the kids to rat out the parents. And you see, he describes this sort of like the, that they're walking on eggshells with their kids. Like, can you imagine? And it seems like that's really kind of what's happening here at Netflix. Yeah, sure. It's crazy to me that it, it's kind of, and you can, listen, I've interviewed at Netflix. 
I, the first thing they do when you agree to an interview is they send you that deck. The deck, which is like their culture. And, you know, you have to sign on to this. If you come work here, this is, this is your Bible. And then, to re, you know, Reed Hastings releases that book that just talks all about that culture and how successful it is. And, you know, to be fair, he, he opens it up to criticism as well. Um, but this kind of thing... This is just, this creates a culture that I think is counter to what they're trying to build, which is this idea that you're constantly being watched. You can't be honest. And I don't know how that can be an effective way, especially if you're a creative business. It's different if you're just putting out DVDs, right? Yeah. But when you're a creative business, you can't have this sort of pervasive, like, you know, almost deep state big brother watching you or your own, or your own coworkers watching you. Like that's the other thing. There's probably, you know, there, there's a there's definitely a disturbing part of this idea of like if you're talking about open open and transparency, then the criticism, no matter what form it is, on Slack or to someone's face, should be part of it. I mean, there's yeah. honestly there's honest critical uh, conversations you can have that people might be offended when they first hear it. Yeah. But my understanding here is that the people that you know, the offense was against were the ones really saying, I don't need to fire this person. I'm, I'm okay with some honest feedback. To me, yeah. it's really this secondary idea of trying to cover up the culture again. It's the second release information, the stuff that's happened on Monday, where it's like, no, 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 we're an open, transparent company. We're not firing them because, and, and you're like, please, let's, let's just recognize maybe what we should be recognizing is that the evolution of the culture is actually changing. Yeah. Like it was, there was kind of a utopian beginning to it, but the reality of just trying to get the work done, which they really just need to get the work done. I mean, there's way too many films coming out of that pipeline yeah. and people just need to go do a job. Do I have to buy into the whole culture to be an expert in my field and get stuff done at this, at their studio? Or can I just go and do it the way I know how to get things done? I'm sure I can take open criticism, but no, not need to. Yeah. I think, I mean, again, having, interviewed there i know colleagues who have worked there that but it's but it is it's a it's that's how they operate and it i think it's it's the culture is very important to netflix um again that was all that was established before they became a creative company so i think we're starting to see the sort of the the butting of heads in terms of those two ideologies and your point about there just being so much product um, is well taken because they they also announced, I think it was last Friday, actually, I don't even know if it was this week, um, that they promoted Ori Marmer and Kira Goldberg to sit alongside Tendo, um, who is uh, the current head of um, the film division. And they now have basically three heads of uh, Tendo Nogenda, I think is his name. Uh, they now have three heads of the film division. So, And obviously their reasoning for doing it was hey we you know we've got a lot of movies that we got to get out we need more you know senior executive my reading between the lines would be more along the lines of what you've been saying is that they're realizing the whole content issue uh, the the what's the word i'm thinking of the quantity um over quality is starting to become a bit of a problem yeah maybe if they have more hands-on leadership they might be able to address some of the more creative issues there. Yes. Because I it, that churn and burn thing is like, I feel like there isn't any studio notes, to be honest. Like, there just doesn't feel like there's... No, they're putting out like 80 movies a year. And I don't know how any one person could do that. So, 
Yeah. I, I get it from a sort of, you need more heads and more bodies to sort of help guide the ship. But at the same time, this on top of some of the changes they've made on the TV side and some of the gangbuster numbers that came out this week for HBO Max, Disney Plus obviously crushing it with Loki. They've got a lot of competition now. And they know now that they can't just be top dog because they have 200 million subscribers. Um, and their, rele- their, um, their quarterly in- report this week was not stellar. Um, you know, they, they lost, they missed the mark with Wall Street, which if you miss the mark with Wall Street, especially with you're a darling of Wall Street like Netflix, yeah, it's gonna, it's people are gonna notice. Uh, they try to defray, defray that attention by talking about a little bit about gaming and how they're diversifying their content offerings, so they're just not relying on TV and movies, which I think is smart on their part because they're gonna need to do that, um, because they'll be the first really because Disney Plus hasn't done it yet, HBO Max hasn't done it, Peacock, um. You know, there's, a, there's other players getting into the game. You know, we've had Sean on Gearbox Software talk about what they're doing on the content side. Riot Games is hiring ahead of film and ahead of TV. They want to get into it too. Heck yeah, they are. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot happening. And I think they're, they're, they know that the more, the more marks they miss, the, it's going to get tougher for them. So I think they're realizing the day of Netflix being the king of the OTT hill may be coming to an end. Well, or at least the challenge is going to make them step up their game because yeah. they could still be a front runner very easily. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, they honestly, they established the platforms, but I, yeah, I could see too, just the, the shit that's happening with families going on vacation, not sitting around watching television, this whole peak that we've experienced over the last 18 months, with the uh, from stay-at-home orders to you know waiting for vaccines to come out, and now just honestly more competition. The theaters opening it up, even though it's not opening up strong, and and you know the the theaters are still kind of suffering from it. It's still additional competition to just sitting at home and watching watching TV. So yeah, I'd be curious what's going to happen with with Disney and Disney Plus's numbers, how much they slow down over the next three or four months. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Netflix is taking a hit. Um, and I mean, what else do we have that came out? We, you know, besides Netflix, Hulu and Disney plus HBO max is taking a piece of my paycheck now. And, uh, Peacock is, well, no, Peacock's not taking a piece of my paycheck, no. but they should be trying to, <laughs> Yeah, they will be eventually. Yeah. They should be trying to, because I don't know, well, maybe not what the numbers that they have. They might be giving away for free for a while, yep. but you know, like there's more and more draw to, and more and more places to watch. And, you know, how long we've we been talking about the what to watch problem. Yeah. It just spreads out everyone's interest so far that I don't I don't know what numbers we're gonna count in the future for Netflix. Just look at subscribers and know that they're okay or how much mm-hmm. content they're making. Um, but I would guess they could slow down on their burn rate of content. Do they really need to release eighty movies a year and keep up with the subscriber numbers like people? Yeah, I mean I think that's something that I think they need to start looking at because they I think they're also suffering somewhat from they they had the advantage when the pandemic first hit of having so many shows already in the can or already in post because they just constantly are shooting. And whereas a lot of movie studios and some of the streamers got, you know, blinkered by the, the pandemic and were in the midst of shooting and had to shut down all their post schedules got delayed. You know, Netflix had a few in the can. Now Netflix is starting to feel that pinch of the, sort of the the stop down on production for almost a year, six months to a year. 
Um, and they're starting to feel that pinch with the lack of content and the news, sort of the entertainment news has been dominated by HBO Max with Mayor of Easttown and the Friends Reunion. And then you have Disney Plus with all their Marvel series and, you know, um, Loki or not Loki's doing well. And then there's um, yeah. the 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 uh, Pixar movie, the Italian Pixar movie, which apparently is doing quite well, which is named Escape oh, from yeah. the Heart. Hard to believe, given that I have two young kids, but uh, we haven't watched it yet. Uh, but Luca, so Luca, thank you. So they've uh, they've been, um, I think they've been sort of in the back back seat as far as attention getting with terms of content because they just haven't had anything, and the stuff they have released, I just don't think has been as big of a hit as they've wanted it to be. They really haven't had a cultural sort of milestone since Bridgerton really. And I think that's, you know, you, when you when your competitors are dominating, you know, the news and, you know, the cultural conversation with their hits, then that's going to bite at the end of the day. And we don't really know the number. Like It's interesting. We don't know the numbers yet. This is the ongoing conversation about how many streamers are people what's what's the limit? You know, when this fall before this all started, there was like, oh, surveys say three to four is the max people will have per month. Um, and there will be churn because people will watch their favorite, they'll binge the show they want to watch and then resign or you know drop the service and then come back when the next season comes on and not stay on. Um, I think those numbers are st we're still, still trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, I think every service wants to reduce the churn. Um, and keep as many subs and grow the subscriber base. That's what they they want to do. I just don't know. We don't know if that's what it's going to look like because the pandemic changed everything and habits are still shifting. I think. Yeah. Um. It's a tough game. I mean, listen, they're still dominating because they've got two hundred million. But Disney's on their heels. Although Disney Plus has definitely leveled off over the last quarter or so. Um. But it all it's going to take like. Once those Star Wars, like that Obi Wan show comes out, I guarantee you they're going to see another oh yeah push up in terms of that because I'm sure a lot of people want to watch that and you know especially with Vader Vader's going to feature in it. They brought Hayden Christensen back for that. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening there, and then who knows what Marvel's going to do next? The the Loki I haven't seen the last few episodes, but from what I've read, I'm not going to reveal any spoilers, so I'm not going to give a spoiler alert. But from what I've read they've sort of opened the idea to a multiverse similar to what DC has. Oh, you sure? Yeah. So that could open a whole other stuff. Yeah, and bring back past characters and that kind of stuff, or past, like, yeah. Yeah, bring back past characters. Also, you know, with the... Because we got to see Iron Man at least one more time before. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, you got into the Spider-Verse, which was the multiverse in the Spider-Man era. So, and, you know, they haven't touched X-Men yet. They still have the Fox properties to, to mess around with. Do you think that it's like the feedback that the studio or the theaters are giving hmm. and the pushback they're giving um, to this Black Widow thing, basically saying, yeah. you know, if it was a theatrical release, we was in a theatrical only release. We was in different numbers than if we were, you know, dual release on, on Disney and Disney Plus and, and the theaters. Do you think that's a legitimate argument? I mean, I, there's probably some very obvious truth that I've like, well, if you only had in the theaters, that's the only place to see it. The theaters would have made more number or we would have seen higher numbers. Yeah. I mean, but would it, did it have any traction to say more people or less people saw it because of the way it was released or everyone who want, wanted to see it saw it? It's tough to say. I mean, I can't, I, I mean, listen, there are a lot of theories floating around. One of the theories is, you know, that this was 
you know, Black Widow, uh, she's already dead, first off. And this was sort of an in-between between the 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 final Avenger movies. And, you know, I, I don't know if that played a factor in it. Or maybe people are just marveled out. I, I, I just, I it's tough to say. I mean, I'm not... I don't know if everyone's ready, rushing back to the theater, and I don't know if it would have been a hundred million dollar hit. I, I just, I, I don't get the sense necessarily that that's a very accurate assessment. Listen, the theaters are fighting for survival, and they clearly want things to go. That what they want is it to go back where it's just released in theaters, and then okay, the windows has to shrink. We get that, so it goes back that, and then a forty five day release window, but. The financials that they release on Black Widow opening weekend, yeah, those are pretty decent numbers for Disney. Um, you know, granted that what they get out of the sixty million that they supposedly made on Disney Premier Access, the numbers are all over the place in terms of the percentage of that they get from that. They have to pay out a certain amount to Amazon and Apple for the platform hosting and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there's not bad numbers. It, it gives them the flexibility to be like, okay, let's and listen, maybe. This is sort of where Kareem Daniels group is going to start to play more. Like, let's look at where this movie is going to play best, where the audience for this movie lives. Is it a theatrical play? You know, can we do sort of a, you know, platform release in theaters and then release it premium on? It gives the studios flexibility, which is something they've been begging for. And the studios and the the um, exhibitors have been hard pressed. Like, no, we're not doing that. And Robin brought this up last last week, what I think is a, a, a very silly point, they don't want to change. They just want things to be the way they were. I mean, when you go to na- when you go to a CinemaCon, with the exception of some of the independent owners, it's a bunch of guys, to be quite frank, who have been doing this for 30 years. And they just want to keep doing what they've been doing. They want to yeah. just come to these little events and smooth with the stars and go back to, you know, and... Let's just keep things the way they are because it's been working. It's like, no, it hasn't been working. You've all just been sort of blinkered for the last five years or so. And now the pandemic, which we've said ad nauseum, has forced a lot of these issues to the forefront. And, you know, I, I again, I say this, I credit Universal with saying, okay, we'll work with you guys. And Paramount with saying, you know what? No, this is a theatrical release. And there will be movies like that. I mean, you know, there will be movies where the sense is this belongs in theaters. Well, and I thought, I saw it. I thought it was very uh, perfect for a theatrical release. I thought it was well made. It was yeah. in the Marvel vein. It wasn't uh, in the same production quality as the, the TV shows that they're coming up with. But there's, you know, there's something that, I, that I've been thinking about with that of, it truly, you could tell it's the beginning of a TV show. You know, if you wait till the scene after the credits with mm-hmm. Julia Louis Dreyfus, like they're basically saying we're about ready to launch the next Loki, yeah, you know, follow up here from from our movie to that. So as a Disney Plus release, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe internally they said, well, let's keep it on the Disney Plus platform because we're actually this is just the you know, the premiere or the, you know, you know, the, the premiere for our new TV show, it's extra long and we'll bring in the Scarlett Johansson as the star to give us that launch point. But as a theatrical release, I thought it was pretty legitimate there. I think that the drop off is, you, you know, one related to like the numbers were really great in the weekend. If I was telling somebody, Hey, you should watch black widow and they can tune into it tonight on Disney plus they didn't have to go to the theater and see it. So the word of mouth, force people to 
find the easiest possible path to seeing it. And I'll, I'll bet you truly just the easy access to it. I'll bet you piracy. Yeah. Like why, why pay if yeah. your friend's willing to stream it over his iPhone from his TV set to your house? Like the technology is there. That's definitely a big issue that the piracy angle, because it's a, basically a clean unwatermarked copy of the movie available. Yeah. And it was, I think one of the highest, you know, um, pirated movies on some of the several pirate sites. So I think that definitely lends to it. But again, I think it, it just shows that the, I should also say that, because it's Disney, the, the distributors have always, I'm sorry, the exhibitors have always had a pugilistic battle with Disney. Like Disney's always been sort of hardcore because they've got these big titles that everybody wants to see. So it's always been sort of the battle between Disney and the exhibitors. So this is not that shocking in a lot of ways um, that they came out so forcefully against Disney. It's just the nature of the beast. And I'm glad they're, they're standing up for their business as they should. Um, but, you know, at times they they don't look at the issues within their own, you know, business model and their own experience um, and just sort of blame it all on the, the, the studios not wanting to release just in theaters when they've been begging for this flexibility. Sure. And Disney now has the opportunity. And I think Kevin Feige is probably, you know, loving the fact that he now can tie a 13 hour series into his next phase in the Marvel movie universe. It just opens so many story angles and, you know, the ability to sort of tie it all together. And it will be interesting to see, particularly with Loki and sort of the potential multiverse, whether or not that starts to leak into the, the movie universe or whether or not they keep it exclusively on, um, on the platform, on the Disney plus on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Kevin Feige's paycheck comes from Disney. It doesn't come from the, the theater. Group. Right. So like, yes. Hey, I'm going to feed oh. this machine as much as possible. And like, like we said earlier, like he has to compete with, yeah. you know, the Netflix machine, but I think to stay within these strong brands that Disney has, as opposed to Netflix, just making anything possible, um, gives them a stronger place. I will say that. I know, I, I know that Kevin Feige is a big fan of theatrical experience. I mean, you all remember in December of last year, he was really the only one when they were touted out for that big, um, investor conference brought out sort of talk about theatrical and really sort of say, I'm, we are committed to theatrical and he loves sort of getting the numbers on Saturday morning. And he loves the, the idea of theatrical. He knows that Marvel is really a theatrical type storytelling, but I think the fact that it, now he has this Avenue to explore Disney plus is just open so many more opportunities and, you know, I, I think they want the flexibility to play around with it. And we'll see once things start to open up even more and everyone feels like the normalcy has returned, then maybe Marvel will be exclusively theatrical. But I don't think that time is here just yet. That's fair. Yeah. So one last thing before we wrap up is this M. Night movie that's coming out, Old. Oh, Old. It's, that's theatrical only, only, right? That's Oh, yes. I believe it is. Yes. Yeah. I can't. I truly can't wait to see it. I'm an M Night fan. I love the, the twist out there. Yeah, it's a fun premise there. But also, our buddies at Alchemy they have they did the visual effects some uh, of the visual effects in there. So yes, yeah. So um, I mean, it's great. I, I'm happy because you know I'm as I everyone here knows I'm a big proponent of pulling the locust of entertainment away from New York and LA. So the fact that a visual effects shop based in New York 
uh, and Philadelphia had the opportunity to work on a big M night movie and M night's a big Philadelphia proponent too. He lives there. Yeah. He is. Um, he shoots in Philadelphia pretty much. Well, with the exception of old, because I don't believe we have scenic, uh, beach property. Beach front. Unless, you, unless, you wanna, <laughs> unless you wanna shoot in a Jersey shore, but that's a completely different movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, you know, I loved M night when he first came out, he got, got a little rocky with lady in the water and, the village was yeah. not my. I love signs. I know a lot of people don't, but I love signs. I think it's great. Oh, signs it's is good. I like village but, though. I, yeah, yeah, village was bad. I mean, I love signs for its his, his, its Hitchcockian references, yeah. particularly with the opening title sequence where it just prepares you to be scared. <laughs> yeah, very very well done. But uh, yeah, uh, so you know, and yes, I believe it's only theatrical. It's horror, so that's one of those movies that's perfect for theatrical. I'll be curious to see if this is one of the, the uh, movies that falls under Universal's new deal with some of the exhibitors as far as when things go to Peacock and when they go to a platform or when they go to SVOD. Oh, sure. And whether or not this is going to fit that mold. Because right now, as I said, I think last night they had 1.4 uh, nights and I think Snake Eyes was 1.3, 1.2, um, which doesn't necessarily bode for a hearty opening weekend, but... We'll see. I, I I don't know. But Quiet Place was in the theaters for so long because it was the only thing to watch. And it's a great experience. Yeah. So I could see this one coming in and competing with Quiet Place and having the same kind of long run. So Yeah. I, I will say, though, Quiet Place did have John Krasinski basically flying all over the country, walking into theaters and getting people amped to see it. Oh, and sure. I think that having that kind of personality, he's very Hugh Jackman, Jackman in that way in terms of just wanting to be the – work his butt off to get people excited to see the movie. I think that helps immensely. I don't really think old really has that. I haven't really seen any press granted. I'm up here in Maine, not watching TV, so it could be all over, <laughs> all over. No, I haven't seen much either, but I haven't yeah. really seen much talk about it. And I think there's a lot of hesitancy in terms of what you spend on your marketing in this current environment uh, versus just holding that spend down and then, releasing the theaters with the uh, hope that it will eventually go to Peacock and drive, drive some subs there. As well, well, I'm going to watch we'll it. See. I'm going to go see it and I'll report back. Yeah. I'm curious. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it in May. I drive about an hour to get to a movie theater. So I don't think it's going to Yeah. Happen. You're not going <laughs> to. And yes, I did not harass you about your beautiful background. It's so lovely. I even made this little tower of boxes for you so that you didn't have to see the rest of the mess. It looks like it's a puzzle. Like it's it's a, it's almost like a Rubik's cube that needs to be fixed. I, I could have I could have put it all together. Yeah. This is my yeah. uh, this is my zipline company, ziplinegear.com. So I'm in the warehouse today. Ziplinegear.com, ziplinegear.com. Yeah. Ziplinegear.com. Uh, <laughs> And we'll put that in the in the notes just in case. Yeah, we'll put that in the notes. But I that's our advertising for the year. I was in the warehouse today and I was like, okay, you can't look at all the all the special stuff on the other side of these boxes. Yeah. So I built these boxes so pretty, for you. Tim. So pretty. Well, I, I like I said at the pre-show, our viewers have gotten used to having rotating backgrounds. I basically yeah. have two. I have Maine and my beautiful look like I'm in a uh, in the in a sailboat office, and then I have my yes. location in Philadelphia. You are the world traveler, so we never know where wherever you're going. I need I to be. Wherever <laughs> you need to be. So I think our viewers are going to be excited to see that there's another background that Tim has not quite used yet. We've had hotel rooms, Oregon, uh, Orange County. So who knows what's next? Now we have your zipline company. I'm a busy man, Keith. This is Hollywood. This is what it looks I get like. It. <laughs> this is what you got to do, man. You're making you're making things happen. 
right. Speaking <laughs> of traveling, we have to thank Lydia because she's on vacation in Turkey, but she still helped us produce the show today. So, Lydia, thanks for keeping us on track. Lydia actually shows up, Tim. She shows up <laughs> on vacation, unlike some people. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate yeah. my staff at ziplinegear.com <laughs> and those people putting backyard backyard <laughs> zip lines together, letting me use the uh, office space today. And I thanks to you and Robin for uh, filling in for me last week so of I can uh, visit my kids in Colorado. Yeah, it's good to yeah, yeah, have you yeah. Kids, kids. I know. I know. They <laughs> suck up a lot of time. I get it. It's the it's happening more and more. Yeah. Uh, well, good to see you, my friend. I'm glad we are always able to, good to see you. Uh, make things happen. And uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Keep on subscribing and tell your friends about us. We appreciate you being part of what's going on there. Um, by the way, we do have upcoming episodes um, where uh, with with some guests, and we'll come up with those shortly. So pay attention. Um, but we'd also love to hear from you. If there's certain questions or ideas that you want to have that we need to address, um, or thoughts that you have about this stuff, please give us feedback in the comments. We'd love to hear more of that too. Until next week, it's good to be with you on Hollywood Breaks. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you later. Thank you, Tim. All right, bye. See you next week.